Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who aren't quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Ashvin, I've got Brian on the phone with me. On this week's episode, we're going to be talking about the 1979 film, The Amityville Horror, directed by Stuart Rosenberg and starring James Brolin and Margot Kidder. In this film, a family moves into a house which has a dark history and the family experiences some supernatural events. If you're new to our show, Brian and I will have a spoiler-free discussion up front. We'll take a quick break and then we'll dive into the plot, the spoilers, and our review. Before we do so though, Brian, do you have? Uh, do we have any pa- new Patreon members that we want to thank? Yeah, we only have one new Patreon shout out this week. Um, shout out to MS. Thank you for your support. We appreciate it. Also, this is, I believe, a request from Mike Moraz, probably forever ago. <laughs> That's awesome. Glad we finally like got it. Perhaps right. multiple years ago. Yeah. <laughs> We're working on these lists very slowly. <laughs> uh, Shipping away. Yeah. Well, great. Thanks, MS. And uh, thank you to all the other Patreon supporters. And hope you guys are enjoying the additional content that's out there. Brian, this is obviously a very famous film, classic, uh, paranormal horror film. Um, I I imagine you'd seen this before. Yes, I had seen it before. um, But I don't think I had seen it all the way through until I was a full-blown adult. How about you? You know, I don't know if I'd... Same. I, I feel like I've seen parts of it like over time. I don't think... I still hadn't seen it like the whole thing beginning to end until like this watch just now uh i did read the book though back in the 90s i feel like that was my first intro to it but um, oh okay interesting you, you remember watching the film pretty recently like in the last 10 years yeah and i remember it because i was like i finally have to check this out because i rented it with my high school friends early on in high school and do you remember the chain hollywood video mm, oh yeah right yeah the movie rental yeah, place yeah like blockbuster they insisted that we never returned it. We never got around to watching it, but they insisted we never returned it. And I was like, no, I returned this thing. <laughs> I refused to pay yeah. the money. And so we owed like a hundred some dollars there. A hundred so some dollars? <laughs> yeah. What? So our family just stopped going. Yeah. Um, but then like two years later, my buddy was cleaning out his car and he was like, guess what I just found <laughs> under the front seat? <laughs> Wait, so was this like the DVD or VHS? A VHS. Oh man, hundred dollars for a VHS? That's how are they doing the math on this? I well, I think that they always would charge more. If I'm remembering correctly, I think it was up there to like a hundred some dollars. They charge yeah. for like the lost income too. Damn, damn, that's crazy, dude. Yeah, I mean, I guess yeah, it's like a working asset. Like they could be making money off of it. Right. Um, damn, I dude, that kind of like falls into the folklore of this film because at some point someone loses like $1,500 in this movie. So I wonder. Oh man, exactly. <laughs> did you, did you like put in your pocket and something wasn't I'm there? Pic- <laughs> yeah, I'm picturing me like with a giant beard in high school, tearing apart my buddy's car. Yeah, it was Where just here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just put it in my pocket. <laughs> damn dude. So this, this, this is the movie that got you banned from Hollywood video. This is the movie that got me banned from Hollywood video, correct? Cool, cool. Fortunately, like, you had your backups like Blockbuster, I'm sure, and something else, family video. I think around that time, me and my friends had started driving and had found ways to get beer, so we just stopped renting <laughs> movies. I guess this means we're alcoholics now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fine, Hollywood video, <laughs> look what you've done to my life. Exactly, 
<laughs> All right. So you've got like a dark history with this film. That sounds good. Yes. Yeah, I do. Uh, did you ever... So so yeah, this movie is based on a book by Jay Anson, published in 1977, that followed the Lutz family. Uh, so loosely based on a true story here, but did you ever read the book or anything? I never did read the book. And fun fact on IMDb, I feel like this is like a low-key burn. George Lutz and Kathy Lutz are listed as uncredited writers for oh, this movie. Wow. wow. Implying that they just made all this shit up. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, if, if they're the source material for like a book that's written about them, and then this movie is based on that book, I that, that sounds like it would make sense that they would be writers. I mean, if, if you like write an autobiography, you're considered a writer, right? Even though it's all yeah, fact. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I prefer to think of it as a dig. But <laughs> all right, I like your version. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, so really interesting because uh, I, I know we just talked about found footage films and how like those are movies that pretend to be based on real events. Uh, here, you actually have a movie that is loosely based on real events. But uh, interesting to kind of read the background here. So that there was like actually a murder that happened in this house, and then this book was written about the family that moved into the house afterwards. Um, and yeah, a lot of the, what you see on, on, in this film is, uh, you know, really happens to them supposedly. What, what's your take? Do you, do you feel like this was a hoax or do you buy into any of this? Uh, my take is that it was a hoax and the lawyer, I was a little bit confused, wanted to dig into it more, but didn't have time. But I feel like the lawyer for the guy who killed his family. So Ronald DeFeo Jr. The, the story itself is the reason this house is supposedly haunted is a man named Ronald DeFeo Jr. murdered his entire family in that home on November 13th, 1974, and then the Lutz family moved into the home like a year later in December of 1975. But somehow it looked like the lawyer for Ronald DeFeo Jr. was working with the Lutz family on this book. Wow. And it's just yeah. like that really st- stinks to high heaven of something and then he later said like we made all this up over like a few bottles of wine no shit Hmm. but like the Lutz family has stuck by it the whole time my thought is it's just a money making fake it's a scheme and I mean they've sued like so many people about it for various reasons over the years it's just like yeah yeah this is I mean they are making money off of it and it just seems so clear that that was probably the goal yeah, I, or at I, least they had other reasons for leaving the house, and then tried to conjure all this up as a like backup plan. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, one, one thing throughout this film, uh, th- there is like a focus on the financials, like it's an expensive house uh, that they're struggling to afford, and like bills are piling up. So I could see that potentially as a way where like they found themselves underwater and like concocted this story to try to uh, earn some of that back. But I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Like, I mean, you and I are recent homeowners. Like, do you, you think like we would ever like that would cross our minds ever to be like, ah, I'm I'm done paying the mortgage. I'm just gonna come up with a crazy story that I'm gonna bank on to to sell to sell to you know offset the cost of this house. The older I get, there are so many things where I'm like, no, no one would ever. Yeah. What kind of person would ever do something like that? Where nowadays I'm just like, yeah, there are some people who are just. <laughs> wired completely differently than you and I and yeah they totally would do that yeah I guess I guess yeah definitely uh yeah so many there's so many like 
things that don't add up too. like they say they called the cops multiple times there's no record of a police call from their home ever happening yeah they're like no history no facts align at all with their story but that's because of the ghosts right like uh like maybe they called the cops for that static was blocking those calls so uh i, c- I could see ghosts being a, a reason for that Okay, yeah, sure. There yeah. is a lot of phone static in this movie. It's like a key <laughs> yeah. plot point. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, yeah. you sound pretty convinced. I, I feel like I'm only like 50% uh, there. Like, I, I, I don't know. Maybe uh, I, I got to dig into this a bit. Have you seen... So, like, yeah, there's this film. Have you seen, like, the sequels or any other specials on this house? I haven't seen any other media on it. There are 30-plus movies about this house yeah but they're not necessarily canon in the franchise or i think from what i can gather there's about 11 movies total that are in the franchise okay um so the 11 films that are technically in the franchise or at least considered among fans to be in the franchise it's amityville 2 the possession from 1982 amityville 3d from 1983 amityville 4 the evil escapes from 89 the Amityville Curse from 1990, Amityville It's About Time from 1992, <laughs> Amityville A New Generation from 1993, Amityville Dollhouse from 1996, The Amityville Horror from 2005 with Ryan Reynolds, Yeah, Amityville The Awakening from 2017, and The Amityville Murders from 2018. So I guess I lied. Hmm. I've seen the 2005 remake. Have you seen that? Oh, no, I don't think I have uh, with Ryan oh, Reynolds. Oh, man. Right? Yeah. I'd like to cover that sometime. Yeah, I, it sounds like that one is actually reviewed much better than this original one. Uh, this one only has like 30%. I, w- w- that one, what, like 40, 50%? I can't, I didn't check the Rotten Tomato scores for that one. I wouldn't be surprised if it was better. I mean, yeah. this is, this has low scores. This is like considered an all time horror movie classic. But yeah, Rotten Tomatoes, 30% for users, yeah. or for critics, and 52% for users. I was shocked at that low score. And uh, I think even that year, like, uh, it, it's weird. It, like, the score and the actress got nominated for Academy Awards, but then it also got, like, uh, voted or nominated for, like, the worst film of the year and stuff, uh, and, like, Stinker Awards or whatever. So, yeah, pretty polarizing film, I guess. Or, yeah, not, not, not a lot of acclaim here. I think even now it's polarizing. There are people who are like, this is a classic and it really freaked me out. And there are people who are like, this thing sucks. Damn. Um, Margot Kidder did not get nominated for an Academy Award. She got nominated for a Saturn Award. Oh, yeah. Right, right. Well, the score got nominated for an Academy Award? The score by Lalo Schifrin did get nominated for an Oscar. Got it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, so you have a lot of a big franchise built off of it. Uh, a lot of books, a lot of stuff like about the conspiracy. Yeah, definitely been uh, a hot topic. And then you and I talked about the Conjuring films, and there's some overlap there. It sounds like uh, who are those? Ed and Lorraine Warren. Ed and Lorraine Warren. They actually investigated. Dude, yeah, I mean, the Conjuring movies wouldn't exist without that, this movie. Like, yeah. It, it's so crazy. Even the specific event of this guy killing these people in his house or killing his family, like, spawned so many horror movies and like even like specific subgenre of horror almost right so like I not know. only did this movie pave the way for movies like the conjuring just in terms of the subgenre but ed and lorraine warren probably wouldn't have been so famous had they not investigated this very house sure yeah yeah so like it's... they wouldn't even be the subject the conjuring wouldn't exist 
for multiple reasons if this movie hadn't existed. That's crazy. Yeah, that that's the thing. Like, this kind of feels like, uh, I, I didn't dig too much into this, but in terms of, like, paranormal movies that were based on actual paranormal activities, you know, this is 1979 uh what was before this that was similar like I, I can't think of like obviously you had haunted house films but those are all like obviously fictional but um did you have other films that were like there's a book written about like real life events and here's a movie based on that before this i feel like there was stuff like based on serial killers or loosely based on real life events but that's a good question i'm not sure that there really was yeah yeah, this seems like it kind of opened the way for that. And Conjuring 2 was, like, directly about this, wasn't it? It wasn't directly about this, but there was a scene in the beginning where Lorraine oh, yeah. was having... I think they were doing a seance at that house in the intro to The Conjuring 2. That's what it was, right? And Lorraine was the shooter. Got it. Yep. She was um, Ronald DeFeo Jr. in her, like, vision. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was in the opening, and then the rest of the movie's in the UK or something, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and actually this, um, we talked about this on the Conjuring episode, so I'm going to just kind of repeat myself from that episode. But there is an episode of a podcast called Nightmare University that is now titled Colors of the Dark uh, with Dr. Rebecca McKendry, and she and her guest Jared Rivett discussed a cycle of haunted house movies in this time period that influenced pretty much every haunted house movie made after that. Mm -hmm. Um and the five that they discussed were Burnt Offerings from 1976, The Amityville Horror from 1979, The Changeling from 1980, The Shining from 1980, and Poltergeist from 1982. Oh, okay, okay. Wow, so like in a period of like five, six years, you got some of the most yeah. influential haunted house movies. Yeah, and then they, it kind of faded out after that, but then it all really came back hard in like... 2000. Post-paranormal activity. Yeah, yeah late 2000s, early... T- 20 teens yeah um and your theory, and so they talked about yeah. how many of the tropes were started like a child talking to an imaginary friend that's in this movie yeah um and the exorcist a ball bouncing from out of nowhere clock stopping at random times or like a specific time being significant right uh and then the one guy just kept calling them is daddy going to kill us with an axe movies <laughs> which yeah. this movie has spoiler yeah. alert I don't think that's too big of a spoiler. Oh, yeah. Um, that, that, and they posited that this was symbolic of the end of an era of upward mobility, like the baby boomer generation not being able to have the future that was promised to them. Like, I think it was there was an oil crisis and a recession in general. Sure. And I think in the Conjuring episode, we purported that maybe the reason these fell out until like 2013 was the financial crisis in 2008 and then mm. you had that cycle of, of like basically the same cycle of movies coming yeah. all over again yeah anytime anytime the the housing market is taking a hit or there's like a mortgage crisis these movies right come back. you get haunted house movies <laughs> yeah a because it's a perfect justification for people not being able to leave their house <laughs> yeah. and B because it's symbolism <laughs> like yeah. we are haunted by this fucking house that <laughs> exactly. we can't afford <laughs> these interest rates are like through the yeah, yeah haunting yeah yeah damn I yeah you might be onto something and if that's the case then 
I have a feeling like in the next year or two, we might be in a very similar situation because yeah, right? housing affordability, yeah, is, is something else these days. Right. Yeah. And what's inflation horror? We'll find out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that, that's fascinating. Uh, yeah, late 70s and then early, like, yeah, mid 2000s and then potentially getting back into that. But you're right. Like so many familiar things that we see in these films are exactly like what you see repeated in uh, like, yeah, the conjuring insidious paranormal activities and stuff pretty pretty right crazy. and and before this haunted house movies were like about a mansion on a hill or some mm. victorian era wealthy it was like somewhere else yeah but this is these were movies about home like houses in the suburbs yeah damn um that's really cool burnt offerings not so much but okay. the other ones kind of and i think another thing these movies do is they fuse post exorcist I think that was, what, 1973 or something? Mm -hmm. They fused the haunted house and demonic possession genres, in my opinion, because many of these movies have somebody in the family become possessed by the demons in the house or whatever's haunting the house. Yeah. And then they are an agent of evil as well. And we and those the Conjuring movies work the same way. Right, right. There's a victim that uh, he has possessed. Yeah, in the movies from the 50s, 60s, like I guess the only one I can pinpoint is like the House on Haunted Hill. You actually don't have like someone in the main cast or one of the main characters that are possessed, right? It, it is physically just the house. Yeah, and even that's up in the air. Um, sure. Well, not to spoil that movie, but. The Haunting of Hill House, the novel from 1959, has a character who feels like one with the house and like feels like she belongs in the house. Yeah. But it's not really this, it's not her being an agent of evil to like uh, do evil things to other people on behalf of the house. It's just like her feeling like she belongs there, which is uh, close. Yeah. But, but not the same. Yeah. yeah. Sure. When, and uh, sorry, when was The Shining again? Was that uh, 70s, late 70s? That, the Shining was 1980. Oh, 80. Okay. Uh, we ever put that in the bucket of haunted house films? Oh yeah, I, I consider it a haunted house movie. Okay, even though it's a hotel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For all intents and purposes. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of plays out in a similar way. Right. Cool. Uh, yeah. No, f- fascinating genre, and it really cool that it all came out, uh, or like it, it had so much momentum at this time. Um, and this one takes place in New York, Amityville, New York. Uh, house is still there, but I think they've changed the address a little bit to try to and remodel the house. Um, the director, Stuart Rosenberg, uh, he's done Cool Hand Luke, Voyage of the Damned. I haven't seen any of his other stuff, have you? No, I'm not very familiar with this stuff. Also, so the main uh, cast here is James Brolin, who I think is most notably the father of Josh Brolin. I don't know if you do you recognize him from any other films? I don't really. He's been in some modern stuff, but yeah, I mostly recognize him because he looks like his son. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, I like Josh Brolin. He's a cool actor. Uh, Same. Margot, uh, do you do you, did you ever watch Superman? Those films in the like, I never did watch the movies. No, oh, did man. you? Yeah, yeah. I loved her as like Lois Lane uh, in those films. Uh, so it's really cool to see her here. But we've seen her in some other films, right? She was like in the Rob Zombie. Halloween or like one of his movies what really I wouldn't be surprised she was in Black Christmas oh yeah in Black Christmas right right um yeah yeah I think she she's a really cool actress I, I mean she was Canadian I think she recently died um she I think suffered from bipolar I think I think she was bipolar um 
And, uh, yeah, I was kind of like taking on a lot of roles later on in her life, uh, just to kind of make ends meet. But, um, yeah, kind of tragic, uh, how her career went. Gotcha. Bummer. Yeah. Box office. This was obviously a huge success on a budget of 4.7 million. It made 86.4. So it did really well there. Kind of spawned the whole franchise, I'm sure. But as we talked about the critic score and, uh, review was very low. It's only got a 30% Rotten Tomatoes. Um, we'll talk about if we feel like that's accurate or not. Um, and then, yeah, you see the tagline for this film? What What is the tagline? For, Something about get out? For God's sakes, get out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> uh, and I, I guess in Italy, they thought that was the title. And so like they, they translated that to be the title of the film. Nice. Right <laughs> yeah. It's a good what, title. It is. Yeah. For God's sakes, get out. <laughs> Uh, what about any other background you want to call out? Um, no, I don't think so. On on that box office note that you just mentioned, maybe I should hit up the Ohio Connection. Yeah, let's hear it. All right. So, as always, our Ohio Connection is done by our friend Alex, who owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. Swing by if you want some delicious food or drinks. Alex connects every movie we watch to our home state of Ohio for us. And Alex says, The Amityville Horror is a supernatural horror film starring James Brolin and Margot Kidder as a young couple who purchase a home haunted by combative supernatural forces. It was a major commercial success, grossing over $80 million in the United States, making it the highest grossing independent film of all time at the time. It held this title until 1990 when it was surpassed by the live-action adaptation Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> this, this film follows... Just reading his like straightforward explanation of this movie had me laughing at my <laughs> computer. This film follows television news reporter April O'Neil as she befriends four turtles expertly trained in martial arts and helps them defeat the Foot Clan, a network of runaways turned thieves. Among the storylines is Charlie Pennington, April's boss, whose son Danny is rec- recruited to the Foot Clan. Charlie Pennington was played by longtime TV and film actor Jay Patterson, whose film credits include City of Angels, Nobody's Fool, and Ted 2. Jay Patterson is from Cincinnati, Ohio. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Te- I'm so glad he went that route because I, I love that movie. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original? Yeah, it holds yeah, up. It does. It does. Yeah, I forgot about that storyline about the reporter's kid who joins yep. up with the foot oh, clan. Yeah. yeah. It's the heart and soul of the story. <laughs> That's... Uh, you thought that was better than Secret of the Ooze? Yes. Yeah, I mean, Secret of the Ooze is fun, but if you go back and watch this movie as an adult, it is very good. It holds up. (laughs) There's this podcast. um, I think the guys who do it are like a bunch of screenwriting professionals. It's called Thundergrunt, I think. And they did an episode on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles like a year or two ago, and we're just talking about how the screenplay is legitimately very good no way really and it just made me appreciate it even more yeah wow yeah. oh my god yeah i'll have to go back and i don't think i've seen the original in like years they, oh man that's a yeah I'll, ch- I'll check it out was shredder in that who's the bad guy in part one yeah shredder shredder's there oh, okay cool but not super shredder not super shredder he's yeah. not super yet all right dude our, our next anniversary getaway we'll watch that today. all right sounds good it's on the list Cool. All right. Well, uh, yeah, great connection there. Uh, always great to remember Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, any other background or information before we uh, get into the plot and spoil the film? No, let's do it. 
Okay, cool. Hey, before we do, though, do you mind if we take a quick break? I think I heard uh, someone at the door. Sure, man. All right, thanks. I'll be right back. Hey man, sorry about that. I'm back. Yeah, everything go okay? Uh, yeah, I think it was fine. It, it was weird. It was just some dude there. He had a six pack of beer, welcoming to the neighborhood. But then, uh, when I looked away for a minute, uh, he disappeared. But I think uh, the giant pig demon that I keep in the living room might have scared him away. I don't know. <laughs> some, some people aren't cool with that, I guess. Wait, Two wait. of the weirdest scenes in the movie. Yeah. I totally forgot about that guy at the door. Like, what was the point of that? I know, it was so random. There are a lot of like random, like uh, odd things in this film. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, it's kind of hard to like track against the whole plot. Exactly, it's an odd yeah, film. It is. It is. Uh, so the movie opens with this iconic view of the house, which you know I, I want to talk about because uh, I think the house has become such a symbol, uh, like the, the way, I think, what is it, like a Dutch, uh, what, do you, what do you call that architecture? I think they call it a Dutch colonial. A Dutch colonial, right. And like the windows, I, th- I think like a very iconic in terms of like, almost like looking like eyes and you have like the chimney going in between them. Um, that That is like a pretty famous looking house, isn't it? It is very iconic. It's on the, even though like, you know, all those 30 plus Amityville movies that aren't necessarily connected to the franchise, they all seem to use that house as like the main image, like on the poster. Yeah. It is a scary looking image. It's just, you know, how a good example of how our minds look for faces and everything. Yeah. Right. It kind of mimics the that. house looks like evil eyes. And they altered the house's windows so it doesn't look like that anymore. Right. And I think they even did it on the house where this was filmed. They filmed it at a different house with similar windows. Oh, okay, okay. Got it. And yeah. I think even they changed their windows just because they were getting too many looky-loos. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I feel like uh, I, don't, I don't think I've seen a house like that in real life. I imagine, yeah, after this film, that's probably not a very popular architectural design. Right, yeah. Doesn't Dutch Colonial sound a little bit like a weird sex move? <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely it's definitely a weird sex movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll show you it later. <laughs> oh great. <laughs> yeah. Send you some videos. So we've got two ideas for our next anniversary <laughs> yeah, getaway. Exactly. <laughs> Dutch colonial followed by teenage mutant ninja turtles. Exactly. <laughs> it's gonna be a fun getaway. All right. Uh so yeah, we, we see the house, um, and then we see from the windows uh that someone is going through room to room and firing a gun and killing people. We then jump a year ahead and we meet these newlyweds, George and Kathy Lutz. They're getting a tour of the house uh, as they're interested in purchasing it for $80,000. As they go room to room, the scenes are spliced with uh, that of the gunmen going room to room and shooting down a family. Uh, George and Kathy agree to buy the home for their family, which it's revealed Kathy has three kids. Uh, What do you think of this opening and like the introduction of the previous murders? I actually really enjoyed it for the most part. I thought it was very haunting the exterior shots of the house. As we talked about, a scary image anyway. It's at night and dark in there. And they do this gunshot sequence by showing each room, each of the different windows light up with a gunshot blast as he goes from room to room killing people in their beds. Mm -hmm. And to just do it through mostly the exterior shot like that, I thought was really creepy. 
and haunting and the best way that to do that scene i thought um i agree did you feel like when they started splicing that with the home tour that like that took away from the intro where it was just like the 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 outside look or did you feel like that added like a a level of detail that you kind of needed to see that's a really good question i actually kind of dug that because it got it did get like more detailed to the point where it was disturbing like you're seeing little kids shot in their beds yeah um, so that was pretty freaky. The editing editing there got a little bit weird. There's like a moment where they freeze frame on our main characters and their real estate agent right before they like smash cut flashback to a gunshot blast. And it yeah. just looked really bad. It sure. looked really dated. But I didn't think it took away from the opening scene. But what did you think? Yeah, I, I thought it like I really appreciated the way the opening was done because it like left lots of the imagination uh, and then it just like shocks me like when they showed it while they're going through the house, which, yeah, I, th- I think was really cool because I-, I thought like we were past that and like, we're not, okay, great. We're not going to have to see that, that like family getting murdered, but then it's like, no shit, we're, we are going to see it. And, uh, so yeah, it took me by surprise. It shocked me. I thought it was like pretty, uh, uh, yeah, shocking just to watch. So it, it works for me. Cool. Yeah, me too. All right. Great. So, uh, yeah, once George, Kathy, and her three kids move into the house, basically the rest of the movie is just, like, strange things starting to happen, um, and not necessarily uh, cohesively. So, first, there's this whole story where this priest comes to to bless the house, uh, but he gets chased out after a bunch of flies suddenly appear, and uh, he hears a voice yell, get out to him. So, later, he's trying to go back to the house to warn them, and his car goes out of control, and he gets an accident, Um, he's also been trying to call the family to warn them, but every time they pick up the phone, it's very staticky. So that's a whole kind of like subplot of like this priest and getting chased from the house. Did you, did you care for his character or like what he was going through there? I did not care for this character or what he was going (laughs) through. It felt very much like an attempt at the subplots. Well, it was really the main plot in The Exorcist with like Father Karras, where they tried to make this priest part of the story, but he really wasn't built up as a main character, and instead he's just taking time away from the family, and it gets so repetitive. Like you can't- his storyline? Just keep, yeah. It keeps repeating itself without a whole much of, without much escalation or increased sense of urgency. It's just like, he tries to call them, it's staticky. He tries to drive there, it doesn't work. He tries to call again, it's <laughs> staticky. He tries to... It, it, it's just like everything he does to try to get in touch with them is thwarted. Just, yeah. But it's just like, how many times are we going to do it? They do it like five or six <laughs> times and we're supposed to yeah. feel it's significant or scary each time. It just... Yeah. Totally... It, it's stupid. Yeah, it doesn't add a lot to the story, but I, I do think like his acting... Uh, I don't know if he was like overboard over, but he had like some intense scenes where he's like delivering like an argument to another priest or like yelling a, a prayer or something. Uh, so I, I thought he, he was more there just to showcase this third party and like how frustrated he was getting potentially. But yeah, from a story perspective, the impact on the family was pretty negligible. I agree. I agree. This was, he was Father Delaney was played by Rod Steger, who was an Academy Award nominated actor. So for this film. Yeah. Well, no, oh. not for this film. Uh, oh, okay. For something else. I can't remember what. But some okay. people think, you know, 
are a fan of his performance here, and others were like, this was way over the top. Yeah. It yeah. is pretty over the top. It is, yeah, especially compared to the rest of the film, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but outside of his storyline, uh, other things happen, like Kathy's aunt, who happens to be a nun, comes by the house, but she immediately feels sick and has to leave. Her brother is about to get married and uh, he's at the house and he's got $1,500 in his pocket uh, but it suddenly goes missing and they can't find it anywhere so that's kind of suspicious. Uh, I think another like supernatural thing happening is Kathy's daughter claims to have made this imaginary friend named Judy and we constantly see this one rocking chair moving in her room and one night a babysitter gets locked in a closet um, and notably that closet doesn't have like a lock on the door and then another time a window frame falls and smashes the hands of one of Kathy's sons. Um, there's some black gunk coming out of one of the, or like out of the plumbing, I guess, throughout the house. Um, and then in the backdrop of all of this, I think these events and other things are kind of challenging George and Kathy's relationship. George is becoming more distant and really into woodcutting and axe activity or activities that involve axes and uh, likes to light a fire and is waking up every night at 3.15. So what did you think of all these things happening? Did they feel like really scattered and like not really co like tied together and just like a series of random events? Or did you feel like it was building up like the theatrics here? I think it is just a random series of things that they chose to have go funky with the house. It doesn't seem to be building towards anything. I mean, it ultimately is, but it just... Again, even though some different things are happening, it's repetitive and they aren't, the family isn't wrapping their heads around the urgency of what's happening. It's all, none of it's that yeah, huge. I it's just all a bunch of little things. <laughs> yeah, nothing so, life threatening. Yeah, I mean, like, there's 40, at least 45 minutes in, I think it goes longer, where nothing of true significance has happened to the family. Like, Anything that's happened, they're not necessarily aware of or, yeah. or privy to the full impacts of. Maybe the priest is, but they're just kind of going about their life still 45 minutes in. We know some things are up, but nothing truly scary has happened. Right. And the characters' lives aren't changed. It, it just gets dull and monotonous. But what did you think? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, uh, yeah, I'm like compare this to like Paranormal Activity 3, which I just watched, or like one of the Conjurings, like you do expect that incremental buildup and like the threat level building on the family. And you don't have that here, which, yeah, to your point, is disappointing. But I think uh, it also adds a sense of realism because like life isn't uh, just like a diagonal line that's like sloping upwards in terms of like threat levels. And if we are to believe that some of these events might have happened or could be real, then this is what I would expect. Like just like random bad luck things uh, happening like one after another uh, or like just like odd things that might not be dangerous or increasingly life threatening or dramatic, but are just like things that make you scratch your head and wonder like if there's some connection. So the lack of like direction here or meaning, I feel like almost gives it more of a realness uh, of like what's happening or believability around it. Um, did you did you feel that at all? No, because I don't believe the story anyway. But <laughs> okay. that's an interesting point, though, because whenever I see a movie is based on a true story, horror movie or not, I I get a little bit bummed because I know that it's a struggle to make an exciting screenplay out of a true story. Because 
like you said, <laughs> life doesn't necessarily move on the upward diagonal, although it feels like my life is moving on an upward <laughs> diagonal of threat levels at all times. Love to know what those axes are. <laughs> what <the labels> are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you have to kind of manufacture the drama, which this movie did, but it says in the credits, like, some of the, some of the events may have been altered for dramatic effect or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. So if you're going to do that and have that caveat in the credits, then do it up a little bigger. Yeah, I, I think modern films do that. But I yeah, I, I know like when we've looked at 70s films or 80s films, I think you and I was like call out that they feel less condensed and there's like a lot more space and real timeness to it. So that that's kind of why I thought like justified how these ones like it wasn't getting like crazy climatic like early on and i think a lot of the drama that you're seeing uh, you know throughout the film here is more in the relationship between um george and kathy uh and i think that friction is set up from the beginning where he's like the, this new dad is coming in um there's like financial pressure he's trying to like step into this dad role there's like some animosity there um so i yeah i, I don't know like i it felt like more real versus like a a pushed like scary story here. They did a good job of building up George and Kathy as a couple and getting us bought into their relationship. But then they take everything away from them. It, it in terms of time, agency, events, like the scariest things that happen in the house happen to other people. They happen to the priest, they happen to the babysitter, they happen to George's business partner's wife who feels an overwhelming sense of dread around the house. They happen yeah. to and Helena it's just a big like no-no in a story to me to take all the characters the people who you've built up to be your two main characters you take their agency away so the things they're doing don't matter oftentimes we see a movie where the events are just happening to them and they don't have any agency in it which can be dull but not only do they not have agency but the events aren't even happening to them and I mean George is changing yeah and it's changing, affecting their relationship. Right. But s- very little time is spent on that for a large chunk of the second act. Really? Uh, I, I don't know. I, th- I thought, like, that's actually, like, a core part of the film is, like, how different he's becoming, how he's, like, always looking sweaty and, like, he's cold and he's, like, starting to get really short with, like, everyone and even, like, Kim and Kathy, like, the way he's yelling at the kids and stuff. I think you get a lot of, like, character development where you see him go from who he was at, like, the beginning of the film, like, this really optimistic dude who wants to buy a house with his new wife. It's, like, really becoming, like, this bitter person who really loves to cut wood, uh... I I think there's like transformation happening that that kind of takes the front stage here. I think it takes second stage. And you'd say the first stage goes to other the people. Priest. The priest. Uh, yeah, lump lump in any other person but these two. Yeah. I mean, he is going through a transformation, but it doesn't like come to a head very well until like an hour into the movie. The drama between him and Kathy it gets very delayed. It's just like, oh, George, so you're different. Something's off. Or like, she's like, huh, that's a little weird. Like, <laughs> it it doesn't really yeah. generate any true drama until about the third act. Yeah, yeah. Or at least towards this end of the second act. That's true. That's true. Yeah, most of the the the, the haunts and the and the stress is like on outsiders. But I I think that's kind of cool because they're in the middle of it. They're living in this house, and they may be more uh, unaware of it. Like, uh, kind of like 
like say if you smell really bad, like you're probably not the first one to notice is the people around you, right? Uh, you just kind of get used to it. So it, to me, that kind of is believable that they are like kind of unaware, just trying to like go about or like so caught up in their own stuff for their kids that they're not seeing like, oh shit, like uh, there's, there might be something evil here. You don't think that part's believable? I think it's believable. I don't think it makes for an interesting hour and 55 minutes of film. Yeah, yeah. This is a long movie for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and he, yeah, I feel like they're throwing in characters like uh, the priest, the friend, the friend's wife, uh, the aunt, uh, the brother to kind of like exemplify some of the things that are happening versus making it all about the character. So I, I hear your point, but I, I feel like that adds uh, a little bit of reality uh, in, in some ways where other people are picking up on it more. All right. Well, I'm sure there's plenty of fans of this movie, so they're, they're going to need to hear what you're saying. All right. Because we know where I'm headed. Yeah. I'm sure that... My diagonal increase in threats. Yeah. You had some cornflakes today? <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> there might have been some urine in the cereal again. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, just wrapping up the story on the priest, uh, ultimately he's trying to pray uh, after other priests kind of like tell him that he's being ridiculous, which I think is an interesting underlying thing of this whole film is that like, is something crazy going on here or is the priest crazy? Is the family crazy? And this is just like normal stuff. And I feel like the film does a good job of balancing that stuff throughout, which uh, makes you wonder how much of the psychological versus actually true. Um, did you care for that at all? No, I thought it was really, <laughs> I thought there was like a really half-hearted attempt to juxtapose a religion and fact and rationalism. Like even among the clergy, like the one priest calls Father Delaney like medieval. Uh, so it's just like, you can tell they're trying to force themes in there of like, rationalism versus religion and we've talked about this in the exorcist and the omen and stuff like this is a period of time in the u.s where religion was decreasing its prominence in mainstream society and and the amount of people who were attending church was decreasing rapidly yeah i think this was a thing on people's minds back then or at least part of the like subcult subconscious of our of the culture it feels like they tried to do something with that but it just wasn't done in an interesting way to me. There's even a point in the beginning where they're choosing where to hang the crucifix and she's kind of, she tells him where to hang it and he's just like, you got it, like whatever you say. And then like goes into the room and tosses it into the air to himself and then like looks back at her like, whoop, she, I probably shouldn't have done that. I didn't uh, want her to see it. Yeah. So it's kind of setting them up as like, she's the religious one and he's not. Yeah. Which kind of makes sense because she's the one like calling on the priests and stuff. Right. Um, and that fits into some men, women, chainsaw themes where the women are more in touch with the spiritual and whatnot and the men are more rational. But even so, I just I don't think it was used to any thought provoking effect other than the fact that she's the one trying to follow up with priests. And yeah. OK. Yeah. And he's I mean, he's kind of under the house's spell either way. So, yeah. Right. He's being followed by the house somehow. Yeah. Okay, so you feel like that was forced in here and not like given a lot of thought to, uh, but I yeah, I do feel like you had like an over like a, a a strong performance which may or may not have belonged in this film, uh, and then yeah, his his story ends with him becoming blinded somehow when he's praying for the family. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you know what? This is again 
more than any of these five movies that they mentioned on that Nightmare University episode, this is the precursor to The Conjuring because it's the only one of them I know of that uses religion so much. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Conjuring loves the religion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. With the Warrens. Um, okay. Well, uh, outside of the religious stuff, which I don't know, I, I thought it was kind of a cool secondary story uh, because it kind of uh, gives like a counterparts like what what's going on in the house some kind of like outside perspective and i feel like it kind of keeps the movie at uh like the skepticism that the father is approached with by the other fathers that like they kind of tell him he's overreacting and, and disbelieve him uh kind of gives voice to the thoughts in like the audience's head like are like are these things happening for real or not which i don't know like do you feel like this movie takes a strong point in like driving home that like what you're seeing is really happening or like I kind of got the impression that it stayed like pretty balanced so even as the viewer the whole time you're wondering like how much of this is actually like evil or could it just be like the house is on some bad foundation or something I mean I think that they yeah I guess I guess those are both the same thing to me uh like Oh, uh, sorry. When bad foundation, I mean, like, it's not built on, like, solid ground. Like, maybe there's, like, some muck under it. Like, literally. Oh, like, that's why the black muck is coming <laughs> yeah. out of the toilet? Yeah, exactly. Oh. <laughs> not like a haunted... <laughs> that doesn't explain the pig demon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think they make it clear that this is a supernatural... Hmm. Supernatural events are happening in the house. Oh, yeah, I found a quote from those father, those priests arguing that says, You think your secular education gives you the right to question the church? <laughs> It's just like I don't know. It just controversy really obvious and yeah. forced. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Uh you weren't intrigued by that conversation. Like, tell me more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Battle of the Minds. Like, I, I feel like had that theme been weaved throughout yeah. the plot more and had it been exhibited in George and Kathy's relationship, like that would have been the better way to do it. Right. And it's interesting because they started the film with all those different windows lighting up, right? You see the exterior house of the shot and, like, the gunshots. Wait, the exterior shot of the house and then the gunshots lighting up the windows. And then the first time we see George and Kathy, each of them is in a different window looking out into the into the boathouse. Hmm. Like, their heads just pop up into this window as they're looking at the house they're about to buy. Oh, yeah. So... That kind of was like interesting symbolism and like, okay, they're the next targets, but also they're separate and they both answer the realtor's question with two different answers. So it's like, okay, they're going to be on totally different pages through the whole thing. Yeah. They were really setting up an interesting dynamic there too. And even with her being religious and him not, and then it just kind of, they didn't hammer it home. Huh. I thought you felt that throughout the whole film that they're on separate pages. Like, uh, in the beginning, uh, you know, they, they were, like, young and in love, but she was, like, yeah, they're obviously coming from very different places, and those kind of challenges, like, kind of uh, became bigger throughout the film, along with the haunting. So, uh, yeah, I thought, like, it, it kind of proves that they were on separate pages, right? Especially with, like, as we get towards the end in the third act. They are on separate pages, but I feel like they didn't squeeze enough drama out of that. It was all just, like, Oh, George is like throwing axes at trees, and then she's just like, "Oh, that's weird." Oh, George, and walks away. It was most of it was just like that. It wasn't like they had any deep, profound arguments, or that you could see 
their like worldviews clashing in their discussions <laughs> with each other. It, for the longest time, they were just like, "Oh, George is kind of sick." Yeah, like they do a little bit more of that it towards the end, but there is a big long stretch of this movie where it's just like, "Huh, George is under the weather," and yeah. weird little things keep happening in the house, and then that just keeps happening. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know, man. I I feel like that's more realistic. Like I I know like. Uh, I don't know, maybe like a more straightforward story would be like, yeah, they start to argue more or like, yeah, one's like a Democrat, one's a Republican. They have like a big philosophical discussion about it or like these differences come up. Or is the more realistic way like that the silence kind of grows between them and one's becoming like way more, um, you know, short tempered and, you know, aggressive in, in responses or removed from the family or yelling at them. Uh, and the other one's like becoming just like, well, what the fuck is going on? A little more by a little more, so I feel like it was actually a more realistic type of falling out than like uh, let's let's have multiple conversations throughout the film that kind of highlight how we're like different people. I don't want realism in this movie, <laughs> but but the the foundation of this movie is realism though, right? Like I I think that's what like yeah, this isn't like I, I feel like a, a normal film in terms of like things incrementally getting scarier or like the life threat or like the, the sense of drama or climax. Uh, I feel like the pacing and everything is so slow and the relationships are so like uh, uneventful that it it makes it so real, which gives it the sense of scariness. I mean, they're exploiting real life events twice three times over the Lutzes are exploiting the real life murders <laughs> that took place in their house and the filmmakers are exploiting the story that the Lutzes made so like go ahead then exploit it if you're gonna exploit this shit then like do it for but more dramatic go effect. all out yeah I, yeah I don't want to see the mundaneness of the how things unfolded in the house you seem really convinced about the the, the fact that this is all fabricated you're, you're like 100% I'm pretty convinced not a, Nobody not a, else who ever lived in the house saw anything. Any of the outside parties who the Lutzes said experienced this stuff, almost none of them said that they did experience that stuff. Yeah. It, uh, yeah, I don't know. But this goes into a, a deeper conversation. I have very close friends who have sworn they've had paranormal experiences. And I don't disbelieve them, but I also don't believe them. It's a whole, sure. It's a weird... It's a weird blurry line. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand it. Um, yeah, it's hard to say a d- definitive yes or no, uh, which is why it's like hard for me to say like definitively this was made up because I do think certain people can experience things that others might not experience. Uh, so I I don't know. Yeah, I'm still on the fence of, of whether this was completely made up or not. But if yeah. you, If this really horrible thing happened to you in your life, would you want to make the rest of your life about it? Or would yeah. you just want it to like would you get to a point where you're just like i'm i'm done i can't i can't keep going with this yeah i'm sorry i even told the press this happened like i'm done talking about it but they just keep like suing people and like yeah yeah yeah, trying to clear one i don't don't know i mean uh, there's a financial component i mean you know uh i'm sure like i i assume like they told the press someone decided to write a book on it and then they saw how much money they made and they're like well we you know we deserve to continue making money off this since this is our story um and so their the lawsuits are more about like times where they weren't properly cited or given royalties to right yeah yeah that's fair yeah i don't I, know i don't believe it that right. yeah, i just don't believe it yeah yeah so i i get it so you don't believe this and uh because that and because you think this is fiction like this movie should be a lot more 
like I guess condensed or uh, more dramatic, more dramatized, right? There's like too much to stream. I mean, do you view the movie as like a true account of everything that happened in the order that it happened? Like, is that what you wanted from this movie? Like a documentary? Uh, I didn't. No, no, I, I, I don't. But I feel like if this was more like The Conjuring or a paranormal activity where you had these very climactic moments, I would be more uh, aligned with, oh, yeah, this was like totally... Uh, dramatized for entertainment but the fact that this is like so under dramatized and understated uh makes me even more scared that like holy shit this yeah maybe this all actually this is exactly how it happened because none of this like ties together it makes any sense which is how it would be if if your house was possessed it wouldn't be like oh and now this ghost comes and now you're under threat or something right so ashwin's review of the Amityville Horror from 1979. So boring, it's scary. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It has to be real to be this boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's no explanation. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, getting back to the plot here. So, George and Kathy also find a secret room under the basement stairs. And, uh... No, they don't. They don't find it. What? <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. They don't do shit. They have no agency. The business partner's wife finds it. Well, two people, two characters removed from George and Kathy. They point to she it. Finds it. They point to it, but he's the one that comes down and kind of like uh, breaks it open though. With the with the she has she has started chipping away at the wall. Then he's like, "Hey, give me the axe. I'll finish the job." Which which makes sense. I feel like if you live in the house, you're under its spell. You're not going to be uh, noticing things like as much. As someone who's like just visiting for like an uh, like five minutes, right? Well, this is this is a problem with some haunted house movies. Who do you make the main characters? Do you make it the people in the house? Do you make it, or the people going through the thing? Do you make Reagan the main character, of The Exorcist, or do you make Father Karras the main character, of The Exorcist? Do you make yeah. the Perone family the main character of The Conjuring? I think that was their name, or do you make the Warrens the main characters? Right. And those movies. It seems like a silly choice to not make the main characters the family going through it, but they made the right choice in making, well, debatable about The Exorcist to me, which got me some heat in that episode. You know that episode doesn't show up on Spotify for some reason? Oh, no kidding. It's only on uh, Apple? Yeah, so if you listen on Spotify, we have an episode on The Exorcist that's just not available on Spotify, but go to another podcast app and you'll find it. Mm. Anyway, The Conjuring takes the folk I mean it, it does manage to juggle the characters but the main characters through and through and and treat it as such and followed up on throughout the movie are the Warrens and in this movie they should have just decided that the priest was going to be the main character oh god or that the business couple <laughs> business partner and his wife were going to be the main characters yeah or at least given equal weight but they don't they just kind of wander into the movie late in the game and then are considered important to the plot and the way things unfold why do you feel I mean, like and Oh yeah, go well, ahead. Why why don't you feel like the Lutzes should have been the main characters? They're, they're I the... think that I, I think they maybe should have, but the the movie chose to go a different. I don't know. I don't know who should have been the main characters, but so your issue is more should have that there wasn't like a main character. Is that is that what yes, you're saying? There yeah, there wasn't a main character in my opinion. Hmm. Like the Lutzes are it, but. Not to great effect. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
I don't know, man. I, yeah, I, I didn't feel that at all. I, I felt like they were front and center, and maybe they are kind of um, unaware of what is happening. Um, but as a viewer, you're given the lens here and there about like other people and what they're seeing. So it kind of balances your perspective as you're going through this film, both from like seeing their uh, limited visibility into what's going on in the surroundings and then also seeing the outside view. And, you know, I, th- I think about like Paranormal Activity 3, where um, who a lot of those found footage movies like the camera seeing the stuff the camera is almost like the main character um, and you as a viewer are watching it but then you're also watching the main character is not really understand what's going on around them so I, I don't know I, th- I think this kind of setup gave us like the views that we needed or the perspectives to understand like both sides of like what was happening here yeah I disagree okay <laughs> that's fair so all right so in, in the interest of time i'll just sure. say i disagree <laughs> all right so you, in your opinion someone else finds this room well someone else point says someone else literally finds this room it's someone else says opinion. there's a room in there yeah and then george yeah. uh breaks it open they find this secret red room under the basement stairs and they see like an apparition uh an apparition of his face and uh the other character uh, speaks in a voice that sounds like the father, I believe, announcing that this is the passage to hell. Um, kind of a, a bizarre scene, which, yeah, all, all these scares are kind of bizarre, right? Yeah, right. She she speaks in someone else's voice and says, it's a passage to hell. And like, yeah, this is getting to be like an almost climactic scene. Things are culminating. And then to me, they cut the energy right out of it by going back to the priest who receives a phone call that's just a hang up <laughs> and he's like huh? and hangs up the phone yeah i didn't know what the point of that was yeah i didn't either i, I think it was more uh making things more boring to make it more real i think they should <laughs> yeah that okay <laughs> okay if that's your if that's your argument that is <laughs> you can win on that just All keep right. saying that and i think i lean think they, on it i think this movie really makes that work uh so yeah finally like, i guess the most climactic part of this movie is one night george uh thinks he sees a monster in Kathy's uh, daughter's room and it's the shape of a giant pig. So he rushes up there with an axe and he's almost, it almost looks like he's about to murder the kids who are hiding in the, in the closet or bathroom. And he's like knocking on the, uh, beating down at the door, very shining like moment, which is interesting since the shining came out years after this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's a, well, one year after this. Okay. Yeah. It is a very prescient moment that, later appears in the shining right yeah um kathy snaps him out of it suddenly blood starts pouring out from the walls of the house so the family escapes and gets out of there george realizes that he forgot the dog so he runs back to the house and into the basement but he falls into the black muck that is under the secret room uh he climbs out and him and the family escape and the text comes up on the screen that says they never return to the house again the end uh, so Brian, you sound like you really liked this movie. <laughs> I have so many problems with this movie. Really? All right, let's I, hear. I'm just noticing I have a note where there's a scene between the police sergeant. By the way, there's also some time taken away from them to follow a police sergeant who's investigating. Yeah. And he has a conversation with a younger priest who's kind of like looking after Father Delaney almost. And he just like goes up to the priest and is like, what's the story? And he goes... There is no story. And then the sergeant goes, 
maybe I'm just chasing shadows. Yeah. Excuse me, please. And walks away. It's just like the most <laughs> pointless scene in the world. And uh, there's yeah. just a lot of stuff like that in this movie where it does nothing to further the tension. It does nothing to further the story. Yeah. It's just a mess. There's also uh, illusions that maybe they're on an Indian... No, not an Indian burial ground. It's a place where the... I can't remember the tribe would like leave their sick or mentally ill and like strand them to die. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. They try to throw in some story there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, yeah. And, lo- and then there's also like a tie to some guy named Ketchum who was like a witchcraft practicer in Salem, but they don't really go too far on that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a, you're right. There are definitely a number of loose ends here. Uh, ideas that I throw down and really followed up on and yeah that the whole detective thing like why was he even following the priest like what, what was he doing that that didn't make any sense yeah it didn't make any sense also it, I thought it would have been interesting if this was like they were going to go with the like Native American location type thing George com- George's company is land surveying mm-hmm. so like that could have come into play interestingly somehow, but yeah, you know, if this was fiction, I, I agree. There are a lot of like interesting things they could have uh, done, but I think that's the real life doesn't always make a lot of sense or things aren't usually tied up in a bow. Uh, and that's like, I think what, why like some of the, the plot elements actually work here is because this is based on like reality. I mean, I think that's the crux of our argument. You're being like, hey, Brian, this is a true story. Shut up about a screenplay. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm being like, if they're embellishing things anyway, why not reorg some of the events or shorten it a little bit, leave some of them out, shift some focus? Like, yeah, there are things you could do without even taking many liberties about the true, quote unquote, true events that took place that would still punch things up. Sure. Just like better editing or tightening up the film a little bit. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I think the screenplay is at fault. The direction is at fault. The yeah. editing, you can blame the editing too, but I feel like a director would have been like, oh man, oh, the, there's this scene where at the end they're running away and they get in the car and George is like, the keys, where are the keys? And you're like, oh shit, no, this is going to be a thing. Yeah. And then there's just one static shot of the two of them in the front of the car for like 20 seconds as she fumbles around and then just pulls the keys out of her pocket and hands them to George and they yeah. go. And it's not played for comedy or suspense or anything. It's just like, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> the <laughs> keys were in her pocket Dude. and it took a normal amount of time. <laughs> to yeah. Again, too much realism. Like yeah, that's This would have been like yeah. if me and my wife were leaving to go to a family affair and we're running a little bit late. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Where are the keys? Yeah. Oh, it's here. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's what what I think really works in this film, because they're trying to make this feel really realistic and, like, tied to a true story. And so, yeah, nothing feels, like, dramatized or, like, over the top here. Things happen, like, in a very normal way of, like, uh, because, yeah, in another film, like, it would have been, ah, shit, the keys are in the house. Someone's got to go in and, like, risk their life to do something ridiculous just to find the keys. But she had them in her pocket, right? They were just panicked isn't that a great example of like how they made this film work i'll I'll give you the exact quote of what's in the credits certain things may have been changed to heighten dramatic effect (laughs) (laughs) 
they should have put under that, but not the keys thing. Not we the left key. that the way it happened. <laughs> yeah, we may- thought that was good. Maybe in real life he had the keys on him, but uh, the embellishment was that she- it was in her pocket and it took ten seconds. <laughs> yeah, add some that. drama. Yeah, <laughs> he just like one of the writers is like Eureka. We'll yeah. put them in her pocket. Yeah, it'll take them a few seconds to figure that out. <laughs> I yeah. mean. Yeah, so not only could you punch things up, but there's just things that it just don't even bother. I'm sure they didn't even happen. Just, <laughs> I'm sure that key thing was a choice. I, I doubt that was in the stories they told. Like, yeah. And then we got in the car and and get this, but <laughs> they it's just weird, weird choices. Yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot of it's it's very unique for sure. It's got a lot of character. Uh, doesn't fall like a a, a pretty. Uh, yeah, it's I, I just feel like it kind of breaks form in, in a lot of ways. But I don't know. I feel yes. like a, a lot of films that we've seen from this era in like the 70s uh, kind of do that, right? Like they take the time, they're slow. They allow like a lot of longer scenes, fewer cuts, um, more like real timeness. So you don't think it kind of falls into other films in that category, like it mimics what we've seen from movies around this I time? Mean, I think that's a really good point that you make, but I think other films from this era do take their time and they spend their time on significant scenes and things that matter, or they spend time creating atmosphere. But I think this film creates, spends its time just repeating things over and over again or letting us see mundane events unfold they don't really even give things the time that they should be given. Mm-hmm. It, it's not the time is being used in, in a spacious, lavish way. It's just there are many events in this film that have to be included or that were yeah. that felt had to be included, but none of them are of enough significance to to make the movie not feel slow. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Uh, yeah, it's all very small. Th- I mean, like, yeah, part of me throughout this film is like, the, is this place haunted or is it just like really small, annoying things that are happening to people? And like, yeah, no one's life like really feels in danger for most of the film. Um, but I, I feel like the point of this movie wasn't necessarily to scare you with like the supernatural things happening, like how other haunted house movies would. That This movie trying to scare you with the plausibility that any of this might be real. And uh, by having like all these like little things throughout the film and not necessarily like over dramatizing them, I, I feel like that's how it gets kind of under your skin. Unless you're Brian and you've already figured out that this is all fake. Or you're 70% of critics who watched this movie. <laughs> yeah, one of those two groups. <laughs> yeah. Or fifty percent of people that just watched it. Yeah, exactly. It's got bad scores. It did, yeah. So you think that's what killed this film is uh the lack of like suspense or uh yeah, the the pacing. Yeah, I think there's not the stakes don't feel very high for a good chunk of the movie. The pacing is bad, the scripting and the plotting is bad. I mean, you could say, hey, it's just real events, there is no scripting and plotting, but Things were changed, so they could have been changed for the better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the acting. The acting is one of the few things I had complaints about. You know, we could say that Priest's performance was over the top. Maybe it was, but I actually think most of the acting was pretty solid. I agree. I agree. I thought the the main couple did a really good job. And, uh, so, yeah, I, I really think they carried a lot of the film, and I feel like their relationship... Uh, 
to me felt like more front and center than like what was like the supernatural stuff that was going on. Um, but it sounds like it, not not so much for you. Well, I no, not so much for me. But they did start off strong with them. So when I when you chose this movie, I was like, great. I'm glad he chose it because it's a big one that we haven't covered. But also, I know I don't like this film because <laughs> I didn't like it when I saw it a few years ago. Yeah. And then I watched it for the first 10 or 15 minutes. I was like, oh, I think I might be pleasantly surprised here. Like, I'm enjoying this. They're setting things up nicely. Then I just feel like they didn't land the plane. Hmm. It just got distracted with all these other events and all these other characters. Yeah. Welcome to real life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, again. I'm just saying, yeah, maybe that's just the the crux of the debate. And like I said, if I see a movie based on a true story, I'm... I'm disappointed because I know that they're a slave to the way things really happened. Yeah. And I think the thing that really grinds my gears here is that I don't believe these things really happened. And they even say they changed the story. So (laughs) now I'm getting as repetitive as this priest trying to like call on the phone 800 (laughs) times. How many times were they going to do the exact same things? Yeah. Yeah. I know. Every time. The nun comes into the house and has to leave. The business partner's wife can't go near the house yeah the priest has at least five instances where he's like thwarted by the demons as he's trying to do something to help the couple it's just sure yeah it does get repetitive but i I don't know like watching it i feel like every time that would happen uh it would i I, you know i feel like as a viewer your your hopes do get up like oh man something different is going to happen this time or who knows what's going to happen this time uh so I, i do feel like there's an unpredictability that underlies this whole film but yeah looking back it, it does get pretty repetitive you do get like the eyes outside the window the door locking and the girl in the in the in the closets and the the you know the the pig in the window i mean who would have guessed they're gonna see that so i do think you have some kind of wild uh things happen here and there that kind of break up the monotony of some of the scares or thrills here i think some of the scares aside from the blood coming down the walls and the kills at the very beginning of the movie i didn't think anything else was scary it was all just kind of like doors opening or things moving and the pig demon looked silly and the eyes in the window just looked like two mm-hmm. laser pointers or something yeah um yeah so i i don't think i think to top it all off not many of the scares really popped sure yeah yeah, I don't think there's ever a time uh, I was I felt like really scared here in this film. But again, like I, I don't know if the that was the intent of the film or if it was to put the question in their mind if any of this could have been real. And speaking of, uh, to the effects and the scares, one imagery that I think is associated strongly with this film are the flies. And uh, yeah, what what do you think? Like I, I thought that was kind of a creative uh, capture of like the flies on him. I guess those were the real flies and the zoom ups and the close. Uh, kind of random but interesting what, what, what did you think the extreme close ups on the flies was unnerving mm-hmm. I actually did enjoy that and the priest I mean he was legitimately covered in flies I don't think yeah. there's any way to have done that in 1979 to make it look that real so that was kind of disturbing yeah yeah I yeah yeah there, there's some uh, interesting visuals here but yeah you're right nothing too scary uh, well, yeah, I agree with you on the acting. Um, I know the music here got a lot of uh, praise and was nominated. Did you like it? I didn't particularly like it that much. I mean, it is a very big example of how some 
horror movies have been scored going forward, and maybe they were a little bit before this, but it's a juxtaposition of very sweet, innocent-sounding things sounding very disturbing in this setting. Like, yeah, it's just like childish female voices going la la. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I yeah, I wasn't a fan of it. I was surprised that the, it, it got a, a lot of praise. I'm kind of surprised too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, anything else, or should we jump to the rating? Let's jump to the rating. All right. Uh, well, shoot. How many? Um, oh, yeah. I guess how many pig demons? Uh, zero to five pig demons. What would you give this? I give it two pig demons. I I already said all the bad things, but again, mm. the acting was good. It's a competently made movie. Like the editing wasn't capturing my imagination, but it was good. Everything about the movie was well made. Um, it just wasn't structured or directed that well. Technically, sure. it was good. Technically, it was good. Okay, got it. Two. Okay, uh, great. Well, yeah, I landed uh, a little more generous than you. Uh, I I agree with you. Like, uh, you know, it could have been a little shorter, but I thought it was creepy in terms of the ambiguity and uh and i appreciate the approach they took so i i give it three and a half uh pig demons um uh out of five uh yeah i i mean i, I you know after watching this i'm, I'm kind of convinced some of this might have happened um guaranteed definitely not all of it but i think the way they shot it made it feel like less fabricated because it was like rather boring at certain parts and not like necessarily like shock value scary but more like kind of realistic scary um and i think the main the main uh couple and the d- drama or conflict that's coming in between them, I thought was played out really well. Well, after months of not ver- really disagreeing with each other, we've done it two episodes in a row. I know. I'm glad. What was what was the last film that we just did? That we just Halloween Ends. Oh yeah, yeah, right. Oh man, we almost have like opposite scores on that, right? Yeah, yeah. I oh almost, almost. Okay. Same gap. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, cool. Yeah, glad glad we're uh, starting to go our own ways now. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it was it was good to uh, be friends with you for a while. <laughs> yeah, there, buddy. exactly. I knew this had to come to an end at some point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, anything else, or are you ready to wrap this up? I think I'm ready to wrap it up. All right. Cool. Well, that's going to be our discussion on the Amityville Horror. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That'll help other people find our show, and we always welcome the feedback. If you want to join our discussion, you can find our social links on HorrorMovieClub.com, or you can shoot us an email at podcast at HorrorMovieClub.com. We'll announce next week's movie on Facebook and Twitter, in case you want to watch it before the next episode. We're also on Discord, where we're chatting up with a few other listeners and horror fans so you can find the link to that on our website it's a great community to join our logo is done by amy may pop art you can check her out on etsy.com we are on patreon you can find the link to that on our website until next time if you feel like you and your spouse are uh feeling more distant uh consider trying uh, the dutch colonial and was was, was was there something else that uh, oh and watching teenage mutant ninja turtles yeah right <laughs> That's going to get anybody's love life back on track. I think you're not going to need that after this episode. (laughs) Yes. All right. I'm on my way. All right. (laughs)